Hi again, everyone. It's good to be together. Hello if you're watching at home through our little video at the back there. Um, if you're still getting over from Father Abraham, uh, again, I apologise. Um, hoping no one pulled a hammy or anything. Well, uh, I'd love you to have open in front of you Galatians uh, chapter uh, 3 and a bit of chapter 4. So if you have that open in front of you, that would be very helpful. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are some just in the foyer you can go and grab. Um, that is absolutely fine. There's also an outline in your bulletin that you received as you walked in. That'll be helpful just to follow along too, see what we're up to. There are bigger gaps, which means we spend more time in that bigger gap. If there's a short gap, there's a shorter time between each of them. That might give you hope at some point that we'll move on quickly. If it's a big gap, you know it's a bit coming. Why don't I pray for us, hey? Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your goodness and kindness to us. And we pray, Lord, today as we read your word and we read of the great news of the Lord Jesus, help us to listen, help us to hear what you have to say. And Lord, we pray that we'd respond as we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it didn't take long for my uh, sister-in-law and her husband to work out that the adoption process is a challenging one. And we're not just talking about cost, we're not just talking about all the forms uh, both their children are from Taiwan, and so, well, look, you know, you don't have to have a degree in biology uh, to work out that their children are indeed adopted. You know, one of the most um, common things that, that uh, people say to parents of adopted children goes something like this. Oh, that's nice. Now, do you also have children of your own? That's where you're meant to go. <gasps> no, thank you. Good. Uh, Dare I, do I need to say it? You don't ever say that to parents of uh, adopted children. Of course their children are theirs. And while we're at it, here's, um, here's another phrase that parents of adopted children often hear. I just don't know if I can love an adopted child just like a biological child. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> well, I can tell you from, um, from my experience... Uh, that Michelle's sister and her husband love their two adopted children just in the same way that I love my three. Uh, so he, here's my thought as we start off today. And we look at these extraordinary, this extraordinary part of Scripture. We're really only looking at, by the way, chapter 3, verse 26 to 4, verse 27. Just those two paragraphs. So the rest you'll have to do for homework. Sorry about that. Um, here's my thought. Well, have you ever thought that way about adoption? Probably not out loud. Have you ever thought that way? I've said those sort of things. Perhaps just now and then. So I wonder if that's a symptom of something deeper. That is what it means to be part of God's family, uh, to be an adopted child of God. It's just a thought, but I think it's worth thinking about. So today we come to this amazing section of Scripture. We're told again of the extraordinary truth that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are saved. We're justified with God, just as if we've never sinned. And so we come to verse 26 of chapter 3, and Paul writes, and I reckon it's a great summary of all that we've done so far in these last three chapters. In verse 26 he writes, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We're justified by faith. Now, Paul's already told the church at Galatians this, that we are right before God, the judge, through faith in Christ alone. 
J.I. Packer, he's um, uh, one of the great, was, he's died, one of the great theologians of the 20th century. Whatever he writes, you should read. Um, one of his classics is Knowing God. And um, this is one of the many uh, different covers that comes by now. He argues that justification is not the end of the gospel. He even argues that it may not be the greatest truth of the gospel. So he writes, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. You see, Packer goes on to say that the Bible's teaching of justification by faith makes us right before God the judge, but the Bible's teaching of adoption tells us that we are loved by God the Father. See, in justification, the picture is legal. Think of a courtroom for a moment. We stand before a judge who makes a pronouncement. The, the, is it the gavel, is it called, or the hammer goes down? He makes a pronouncement. But in adoption, the judge not only declares you not guilty, but he gets down off the bench, he comes down to where you are, he unchains, he takes the chains off you, and he says, come home with me, my child. That's adoption. So Packer writes, to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater thing. Do you know what it means to be a Christian? To be a Christian means that you have God as Father. That's what it means to be a Christian. If that's not something you can say yet, uh, then today, later on, in about 20-odd minutes, I'm going to invite you uh, to do just that. Accept God's saving work in your life through Jesus and like Jesus, call God your Heavenly Father. But before we get into understanding this adoption by God the Father that we've read about today in Galatians, uh, some of us may have been a little bit put off already, may have also, possibly even been a little bit offended by the use of the word sons to refer to all Christians. Did you catch that? Although some of you, um, if you've got your Bibles open in front of you, you might have seen that verse 26 is actually translated children of God. But I think we need to be careful here. The Bible is not being chauvinistic. Paul is making an important, revolutionary, countercultural point. If we are too quick to change the biblical language, we'll actually miss what Paul's saying. You see, in ancient cultures, uh, like in Paul's day, daughters could not inherit property. Now, that is chauvinistic, but that's another story. They could not inherit property. They could not get full rights of the property. You'll see that in 4 verse 5. You see, son, in this context, that word really means legal heir, which is a status forbidden to women. But the gospel, this is what the gospel says, the good news of Jesus, and, and here's the countercultural bit, says we are all sons of God in Christ. We can all receive full rights. Full rights. We are all heirs with Christ, male and female. So Paul um, uses this language of son, or, or, or uh, using this language of sons, is he, he's sticking it to the establishment. <laughs> he's sticking it to them. That's what he's doing. He, he's he's, he's uh, having a go at them the culture of his day. See, with God there is no difference. Male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, we are all one in Christ and are all sons with full rights, just as if we're inheriting property. In fact, we're inheriting the promises of God. 
we're all heirs in Christ. So I'm going to jump around between sons and child, but when I say sons, you know what I mean. Okay, well the passage speaks, and you can see in your outlines in front of you, the passage speaks of two radical and glorious actions that God takes to adopt us as sons. So here's the first one, you'll see it in your outline there, that God sent his sons so that we might receive the position of sons. So if you've got your Bibles, but I've got it up on the screen just this once, it's a bit of a, you know, being good to you. Um, usually I want to have, you have your Bibles in front of you, but there it is. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, or full rights as sons, as some translations say. So what is it about God sending his son that makes it possible for us to be adopted as sons? We're going to use the modern concept of adoption as a bit of an analogy. Radio, It's not perfect, but it's okay. I think it's going to work. So stay with me. That's what I'm going to try to go with, all right? Uh, so if you want to adopt a child today, a number of conditions must be met. First, adoption requires someone who will come at the right time. So anyone who's been through the adoption process knows the gruelling pain of waiting um, waiting and waiting, getting pages and pages of forms all together. And you'd think it'd be pretty simple, wouldn't you? You know, you've got, you've got an orphan here and, who, and you've got willing parents. You put them together, Bob's your uncle, right? Uh, no, there's much more to it. See, in the same way, God sending his son to this earth when he did was no accident. God writes, God sent his son, have a look at verse 4, when the time had fully come, when the set time had fully come. The timing was all God's. God and his sovereignty was designing all of history for this moment. It was an appointment. And God has another appointment planned also, and that's the, that's the return of Christ. Uh, that will also be no accident. Second, adoption requires someone who possesses the right qualifications. So to be accepted in the modern adoption process, you have to go through screenings. Uh, you have to go through background checks. People come to your home and interview you. Uh, there are home studies, all in order that you fit the qualifications. Now, some countries even um, ban prospective parents because they're too, too old, and some countries ban prospective parents because they're too young. Now, in a much deeper way, adoption into God's family requires the right qualifications. For example, who will pay the price for sinners to be saved, forgiven? Who's going to pay the price for sinners to be forgiven? And there's only one possible answer, and that is one possible person in history, and that, of course, is Jesus, God's son. So what are, what are his qualifications so he could pay the price for us sinners so we can be saved, so we can be right with God, justified with God? Well, have a look at verse 4. Jesus is fully God. God sent his son. Jesus, did not, Jesus is not some divine surrogate. He's God. God did not create his son. He was sent. He's, he always has been. Who, and who alone can bear the wrath of God? Second, Jesus is fully human. See that in verse 4? He's born of a woman. Paul's saying he was fully human, born like we are. Born of, of, of a woman, born in a, a, a poor woman, in fact, really, of a dingy manger, uh, of a poor peasant in Palestine. 
Luther said of Christianity, Martin Luther, uh, that Christianity does not begin at the top as all other religions do, it begins at the bottom. Jesus was flesh and blood just like us. He was like us. He experienced all that goes with that. Third, still going through Jesus' qualifications, Jesus is fully righteous. So not only was he born of a woman, but he was born also under law. So Jewish man, he was born a Jewish man, he was born with Jewish parents, he attended a Jewish synagogue. The Bible tells us that he perfectly fulfilled all the demands of the law of God. If Jesus had not been righteous, he would not have been able to redeem unrighteous people. So, adoption requires someone who comes at the right time and someone who has the right qualifications. But there's one more condition we need to mention. So we're back to chapter 4, verse 5 again. I think I've still got it on the screen. There it is. Excellent. Adoption requires someone who has the right resolve. You don't adopt a child by accident, as if you're left wondering, ha, how did that happen? Well, look at that. Where did she come from? Um, it doesn't usually happen that way. Uh, no, you adopt a child purposefully. Jesus came with a purpose. You can see it there. God sent his son, verse 5, to redeem, free us, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship or full rights as sons. But there's a big difference between a contemporary story of earthly adoption and the biblical story of spiritual adoption. Let me explain that big difference. Maybe you've seen a few already, but there's a really big one. Earthly adoption, like, it's quite often glamorised, I think. So think Angelina Jolie, right? Um, and her many adopted children, all dressed up in the latest fashionable gear. Uh, we often think about adoption with that type of picture in mind. Sweet, precious, innocent children from all over the world just waiting to be adopted by a wealthy Western family. But the Bible paints a very different picture. We read that the people, that people who are adopted all right, are objects of God's wrath. This is from Ephesians 2. Who follow the rule of the world. Again, Ephesians 2. Gratifying the desires of their sinful nature. They're the ones who are adopted. Uh, one author I read during the week, who is an adoptive parent, made this analogy, uh, comparing God's adoption to the modern picture of adoption. I'll read it to you. Imagine for a moment that you're adopting a child. As you meet with the social worker in the last stage of the process, you're told that this 12-year-old has been in and out of psychotherapy since he was three. He persists in burning things and attempting to skin animals alive. He acts out sexually, the social worker says, although she doesn't really fill you in on the details of what that actually means. He's already been expelled from six schools. She continues with a little family history. The boy's father, grandfather and great-grandfather all had histories of violence, ranging from domestic violence to murder. Think for a minute, the author continues. Would you want this child? If you adopt him, would you watch nervously as he played with your other children? Would you watch him nervously as he looks at the knife in the kitchen? Would you leave the room as he watched a movie with your daughter with the lights out? Finally, the author identifies this problematic 12-year-old. He's you. He's me. See, we're like that. There was nothing in us to draw us 
to him. God determined to rescue us. He resolved to rescue us. Now, if you think that illustration is a bit of an exaggeration, then friends, just look at the cross of Jesus Christ, won't you? Look at the picture of God's wrath against sin. It was no minor offence for which Christ died for us. Jesus' purpose, his resolve, was to save, to set us free from sin and its consequences. Another author I read, uh, who also is an adoptive father, told this story of his, an interaction with his son. He writes, The other day I was playing with my son, who we adopted from Kazakhstan. And his favourite question now is why? Probably imagine the age. If you're a parent, you've been there. Uh, when I told him I loved him, he said, why? <laughs> and I said, because you're my son. And of course, he answered, why? <laughs> How do you answer that? How do you answer that? Out of all the children in the world, why is he my son? The writer continues. I started thinking about all the factors that had come together, from the timing, to the qualifications, to the ups and downs and the days my wife and I wondered if we could do this. I felt the tears well up, though my son didn't even know what was going on and probably sorry that he did ask why. I looked at this precious little boy and said, because we wanted you, buddy, and we came to get you. That's why you're my son. It's in a much greater way, you and I have a God who says, I love you. And when we ask, why, God? He answers, because you're my child. Why? Because I wanted you, he says, and I came to get you. Well, praise God that he sent his son so that we can receive adoption sonship, so that we might be called a child of God. But, but the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus that we read in the Bible, uh, doesn't just stop there. There's more good news. The gospel doesn't only declare believers as justified, uh, nor does it only give us a new position, a new status, Paul tells us about another blessing. So we're going to go to Galatians 4, verse 6. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit, sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out or calls out, Abba, Father. Galatians 4, verse 6. So here's the second radical uh, and glorious action that God takes to adopt us as sons. God sent his spirit so that we might experience the privileges of sonship. Now, my nephew, Cheng, his name is, from Taiwan, who, he, he knows who his father is. His father's Charlie. And he knows this because not only did, not only he and Fiona, Cheng's mum, travel across the world to adopt him, but because of the love his parents show him every day, today. See, their status is based on what a judge in Taiwan declared six years ago, Michelle, something like that? Give or take, thank you. Um, <laughs> but his life is based on uh, his relationship with his parents every day as they play in the park, read books, bounce on the trampoline, ride bikes, whatever they do. Uh, friends, so too with God. Your status with God was settled on the day you were declared righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. 
but there is more here than just simply a change in status. You have a new life. A living relationship with God in which he speaks to you through his word and sustains you on a daily basis with love, affection and strength. Coming to Jesus in trust changes who we are. We live with a new identity before God. Have a look at Galatians 3 verse 27. Again, it's up on the screen. Have your Bible open if you like. Uh, Galatians 3 verse 27 tells us, as believers we are baptised into Christ. So, washed clean of our sin because of Christ's death. Immersed, if you like, using the metaphor of baptism again, into the life of Christ. Now, Paul's not saying that to be saved, you need to be baptised. He's not saying that. But baptism is a public symbol of your faith in Christ. Although I'm actually not convinced that Paul's referring to water baptism here anyway. I think he's using it as a metaphor of what God does when we come to Jesus in trust. So as as we are baptised, washed clean, uh, immersed in the life of Christ, we are clothed with Christ. You can see it in verse 27. Clothed with Christ. The language is important. You see, when we put our trust in Jesus, we put on the new clothes. We put on we put on Christ like new clothes, and we remove the old clothes, the old self. In Jesus' day, um, a son who reached manhood and received full rights as a son, uh, his inherited property, he would literally—it's quite interesting—he would literally change clothes. He would put on new clothes. That's the, the analogy Paul's using here. Uh, so no more bawdies and hoodies, right? He would grow up a bit and he'd put on a suit and tie, uh, or whatever the equivalent was in those days. <laughs> Same with Jesus. When we trust him, we put off our old clothes, our old self, and, and clothe ourselves with Jesus, his words, his promises, his love. And not only are believers united to Christ, we are also united in Christ. In verse 28, Paul mentions uh, some of the barriers that separated people in the first century. You can see them there. Uh, Perhaps you can think of what the equivalent of the 21st century might be. What are the barriers that separate people these days? But in Christ, well, there's no barriers. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So verse 28... There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, rich or poor, black or white, private school or state school. I could go on, couldn't I? We are all one in Christ Jesus. Not that we lose our cultural distinctions, we don't do that, uh, but they're no longer barriers. They're no longer barriers. It's one of the most beautiful pictures of God's church, isn't it? It really is. Uh, probably don't, well, we see it in different ways in, in, in Robbo, that's for sure. Uh, when I was working in a church overseas, um, there were 80, I think about 85 different nationalities in our church. Um, it was a wonderful picture. That's a picture of many churches across the world um, and different parts of Sydney as well. Not that there's anything wrong with where we live <laughs> at all, maybe like that, but um, uh, it is a wonderful picture of God's church, of people united, not by their ethnicity, not by their socio-economic status or gender or sexuality, not by any artificial distinction set up by our society or culture, but all united in in Christ, that's God's church. And gee, it's a beautiful picture. We all stand before God the same, every one of us, 
We all need a saviour. We all need Jesus. There is no difference. Well, not only do we live with a new identity, there's another blessing to mention. We enjoy intimacy with God. So back to Galatians 4 verse 6 again. Because you are his sons, don't forget that that word sons and what it really means. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So under the law, people approached God with fear and trembling. Read lots of examples in the Old Testament with that. But under grace, we can approach God with confidence and with intimacy. We cry out, Abba, Father. Now, don't water down that term, Abba, Abba, Father. Um, Don't water it down to Daddy, as some Christians do. Uh, I I don't think that's how the scripture uses the term. It's a groaning. It's a crying out, Abba, Father. A longing for the Father. It's Jesus crying out in the Garden of Gethsemane. When his tears dropped, uh, like dro- tears fell like drops of blood. It's a crying out to God. When my kids were young, um, if they were scared, uh, they would cry out, Daddy or, or Mummy, and they'd wrap their arms around us. You know, I remember being half choked by Wes, you know. Um, that's what they do. It's when you hear the news you feared, when you get the diagnosis you dreaded most, you experience the circumstances you could never have imagined happening. And you fall on your knees and you cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father. For in those moments, you do not have a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, again to fear. No matter what this world brings, you have nothing to fear because you've received a spirit of sonship. You are a child of God and so you can cry out, Abba, Father. Friends, are you a child of God? I'm not asking whether you go to church each week or if you read your Bible every day, they're very good things, or raise your kids in a certain way. But do you have intimacy with God as Father? That's what it means to be a child of God, that you can cry out, groan, Abba, Father. Well, finally, in being adopted into sonship, we are guaranteed an inheritance from God. See, we've seen that as we put our trust in Jesus, we have an eternal father. Our friends, some of us have had or had great fathers. Some of us have, have had missing fathers. Uh, some of us have had fathers who don't deserve the title. But the best earthly father is an inadequate picture of God as our father and of our spiritual adoption. We have an eternal father. We have an eternal family. Brothers and sisters in Christ, co-heirs with Christ. Friends, this, this is no club. It's not a club. It's far more significant than that. We are brothers and sisters in Christ meeting together. It's just a little taste, just a little taste of eternity. That's what it is. Eternity is so much better, but this is pretty good. <laughs> just a little taste. And so in Christ, we have an eternal home. When you're, when you're brought into a home the, as an adopted child, the adoption is complete, right? It's not temporary, it's adoption. Nobody's coming from Taiwan to pick up my niece and nephew and take them away. Take them away from his parents, nobody. Nobody's going to do that. See, as we trust in Jesus, you and I can have the same confidence in God's promises and his word that we will always belong to him. 
God has sent his son into the world that we might receive the position of sons. And as we trust in Christ for salvation, to be saved, to be right with God, because without Jesus you're not right with God, as we trust in, in Christ to be right with God, God takes us into his home as heirs, full rights as sons, and nobody's taking us away. Nobody. I want to play you a song as we close. Uh, it's, it's one of my favourites, to be honest. I really like it, but it reminds us of the, of the amazing truth, the wondrous truth of what it means to call God your Father. I want to encourage you to, to as, as you listen to the words, will be up on the screen during the video. I want to encourage you to think. I want to encourage you to, to maybe pray. And I want to encourage you to consider, to consider Jesus, uh, perhaps even for the first time. And after that, we're going to pray um, uh, together. So let's, let's listen to the song. Thanks, Rob.